You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. I wonder how many of you this morning need to hear the gentle rebuke and affectionate reassurance from the Lord Jesus this morning where he says your name twice. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Isn't that it? Isn't that it? All of the message, isn't that it? <laughs> Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And if not today, then I'm sure in the past or in the very near future, the Lord will be saying those words to you. Because it's such a common experience in this just this everyday uh, encounter that Luke records for us there's such a, a wealth of uh, insight into one of the kind of fundamental struggles of the Christian faith one of the most fundamental aspects of it you know the Christian faith in one sense is so easy isn't it come to me you're weary and heavy laden the Lord says and I'll give you rest my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we're burdened, <laughs> when we're not resting, when we're weary, uh, when we're restless, all those things, we know that something isn't right in our Christian faith. It's fair to say that, do you think? Something's off track. And actually knowing that, it's, I mean, we don't always know what to do with that. I'm not sure we're going to solve that puzzle this morning uh, completely just by looking at these verses. But we do know, almost like a, a compass pointing north, that when we are weary and heavy laden, when we feel a heavy yoke on us or a heavy burden upon us, when things are really hard and we are, like Martha, distracted and worried and fearful, that actually something isn't right in our Christian faith. And the Lord wants us to know that. And he says, when that's happening in you, you need to stop and think, what's going wrong? How can, I, how can I come before the Lord and have this burden taken off me again? That's really the message this morning. That, the message this morning. How, do, how can we tell that's happening to us and why is it important? Luke is uh, I just such a skillful arranger of his material, I think. It's just like a, a feast for the mind, the way he arranges uh, the stories of Jesus' life. And I just think the contrast, you have this magnificent kind of dramatic sending out of the 70 or the 72. They go out and there's this kind of shake the dust off your feet if they don't welcome you. And there's, I saw Satan fall, uh, falling like uh, lightning from heaven and, you know, uh, miracles and uh, all sorts of amazing things happening. This dramatic scene just a few verses before. Then you have the story, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, like I said last time, is just sums up, goes from the heights of who God is right down to the practicality of how we live that out, just spanning the, the breadth of the Christian life and a parable that sticks in the mind. I mean, who doesn't remember the, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's so evocative. So you have these kind of big, uh, signature things in the ministry of Jesus. And then you have this incredibly homely scene that I think almost every one of us can identify with. There's, Mar- there's an unexpected guest, two sisters, and Martha is 
busily so worried about being hospitable that she manages to be inhospitable. <laughs> she's, she's so desperate to, to do everything right that actually she breaks the, the very the, the thing that she's trying to create. You know, she's incredibly rude, actually. She says, the, the laws of hospitality uh, in the Middle East at the time, and I think still, still today, are such that there was a, a great expectation if someone came to your house to honour them and to, to treat them in, in a very special way. And she's so concerned about that that she ends up asking this honoured guest to mediate in a family dispute, which is like the most... <laughs> can you imagine? You go to someone's house and it's like... Uh, they just complain about their wife or their husband and they say, well, could you just have a word with them? I mean, <laughs> it's so uh, so odd, isn't it? But how many of us have not been in that situation where we've wanted to do something so badly we've end up, ended up ruining the very thing we were trying to make? I mean, I just think, you know, some weeks at like a home group, you know, we're still hoovering at like 28 minutes past seven or something like that because we want everyone to be comfortable. We want everyone to feel welcomed. And sorry, you guys at home group, but I think you probably have some insight into this anyway, to be honest with you. You know, and it's just clearing away stuff on the table and 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 people come and instead of being rested and welcoming and hospitable, you're kind of like you know wiping the sweat off your brow and angry with the kids and, and you know you haven't got everything ready and you know actually you're trying to be hospitable. You kind of break the thing you're trying to make. Uh, who hasn't had that experience? It's, it's just such a human thing, isn't it? These everyday things make, make really big points. And I think that's just one of the signs of how true our faith is. You know, it matches up to just everyday things. It's not really abstract and hard to grasp. So there's... Jesus, in this encounter with Mary and Martha, is, and Luke's recording of it, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making this very simple point for us. This everyday thing that most of us experience, this really good guide, how to live the Christian life. The Christian life is meant to be, in some sense, easy. Yes, it has trials. Yes, God takes us through difficult things, through persecution, through uh, things that make us grow and all those things. But at the heart of it, that's supposed to flow from this place of uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And we know also that as part of the Christian life that we're meant to be, in some sense, that even though there's that rest, there is a yoke, which means there is some work involved, there is a burden to bear, even though it's a, a light burden. There is something for us to do. We are called to grow as Christians. We're called to grow in holiness, to grow in love for one another and for the world and for God. And we're called to uh, grow in sanctification, you know, uh, gradually uh, growing out of our sin and towards, towards holiness, like I said. We're called to grow in fruitfulness in the Holy Spirit. So there is some effort involved. And often, because of this, 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 this sense that we know we need to grow and we know there's some effort involved, we get caught up in... Uh, thinking that that growth will come through purely through our effort or our determination or our passion or our zeal for God. That somehow that actually these things will come just by us really, really trying really, really hard. And God wants us to grow. He wants us to have all those things, but he doesn't want it to come through just passion or zeal, or determination, or effort, or concentration, or natural strength. He doesn't want it to come through those things. He wants it to come 
through grace. So that the growth that comes is like fruit that appears on a tree. It comes out of us naturally through our relationship with God. So that it's infused not with uh, human striving, but with peace, with joy, with uh, the natural strength that comes through the Holy Spirit. He wants us, in the words of uh, Peter in 2 Peter 3, for us to grow in the grace, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to help us keep in that grace, uh, God speaks. He speaks to, uh, to, to Mary, to Martha, and he speaks to us um, these words. Mary has chosen what is better. So the, the sign that we are living, not living in grace, that we are not doing things by resting in Christ, that we're striving on our own, is basically what Martha experienced and what we experience when we're tidying up for home group or whatever it is that is making us stressed out. It's that we become, like Martha, we become distracted. We become worried. We become fearful. We become jealous of people around us who aren't trying as hard as us. That's what's going on in Martha, isn't it? When we are doing things on our own strength, we we take on this this other character that is just doesn't feel at home in the Christian life. Fear has no place in our relationship with God. Anxiety, distraction has no place in our relationship with God. And certainly jealousy, envy or judgment of other people has no place in our relationship with God. And these are signs that we're not in grace. God doesn't want us to have those things. He wants us to be at peace. He wants us to be focused on him, not on everybody else. What everyone else is doing. He wants us to be focused on being faithful to him. So God speaks this gracious word. Mary has chosen what is better. Again, very simple. And as I was thinking about this passage, it occurred to me that you know, God only tends to tell us that things are better or that things are good when we are likely to forget. He doesn't really you know, state the obvious an awful lot. And in the Bible, again and again, God tells us that things are better when we're liable to forget it. So, or, or we're likely to miss it. So Paul says, for example, that, he, he, that uh, celibacy is a higher calling than marriage. He says that in 1 Corinthians. It's better to not marry. Why does he say that? Because it's not very obvious. It's hard to understand, isn't it? That actually someone who was called to be single may be more able to serve the Lord than someone who's married. Now, that's another, well, not just one sermon, probably a whole host of sermons to talk about. But, you know, he's telling us because it's not obvious. Because it seems to us that, you know, marriage is a very high calling. Uh, you know, he says in, the, in a similar passage, he says, uh, chastity is good. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. We uh, preached on that a long time ago. But, you know, it's basically, it's good to control yourself. You know, that's not always very obvious to people. It's uh, the Sabbath, Jesus tells us, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He, why does God tell us that? Because we're likely to forget it, because we want to work, work, work. We want to take things on, on ourselves. And it, it seems a little too good to be true that God would give us this day of rest to enjoy the world and to enjoy him. We're likely to forget it. And here, uh, Jesus, by saying Mary has chosen what is better, he's pointing out something that we're likely to miss. Activism, just being active and doing stuff, getting on with uh, the busyness of the Christian life, of serving God in practical ways, feels to us the most productive way of serving God. It feels most important. 
And the other side of the Christian life, the side which traditionally has been called contemplation, which is spending time in God's presence, uh, the mystical side of the Christian life, enjoying his presence, thinking upon him, meditating on his word, speaking to him in prayer, listening to him in prayer. These things are harder. They are not as immediately rewarding as just going and doing stuff. And because of that, there is a tendency within the Christian life for us to become activists in our nature and to sideline these other, this contemplative soul. But Jesus is saying here, Mary has chosen what is better. It's not that they are, it's, it's not that being active versus sitting at Jesus' feet are kind of opposed to one another. They're not opposed to one another, but it's just that we're likely to forget that spending time in God's presence is better. Does that make sense? Anyone need to hear that this morning? It's funny, isn't it? Because I, just as I'm standing up here thinking about it, like I don't think churches like ours have a reputation for, you know, not wanting time to spend, not wanting to spend time in God's presence. You know, we're more renowned for you know enjoying worship and emphasizing prayer and Bible study and that sort of thing. That's our tradition. But actually, I think I look in my own heart and I think about the problems you know, that we encounter here as a fellowship. And actually, I think that activism is, a, is an issue. It is an issue that we tend to be like Martha and not want to spend time at the Lord's feet. So I think the Lord would speak to us. I think he would just speak to us through this passage and maybe just explain a little bit about why, why Mary has chosen what is better. Why is it better? I think you want to explain that a little bit to us and maybe just challenge us on a personal level. So I'm just going to highlight a few points. Um, I don't think it's too complicated, but um, I, I just a few things that I think are on the Lord's heart uh, to speak to you and to me <laughs> this morning. So how has Mary chosen what is better? Well, the first is she's chosen what is better because Christ is our head. He's the source of our salvation. He's like the source of the river. He's the place where all our goodness, all our life flows from. And uh, the picture that came to mind was um, there's this silly program on BBC Two every now and then called Dragon's Den. Has anyone ever seen that? Uh, and if you, don't, if you haven't seen it, basically you get these would-be entrepreneurs, some of them who are extremely deluded, <laughs> come before a panel of millionaires and they basically pitch their idea asking these millionaires to invest thousands and thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds into whatever harebrained scheme they've thought up. And some of them are, well, the, the millionaires are rude to everyone, without exception. That's, that's kind of the fact, that's why people watch it, basically, to watch people be humiliated by <laughs> rich people. Um, and some people are... Uh, just dismissed out of hand. You haven't thought this through properly. Why are you even here? Why are you wasting our time? And some people actually have good ideas. And uh, these millionaires, they offer them money and they go into a business arrangement and they start their business. That's 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 it. And hopefully they're successful. And uh, the the people who appear on the show, the contestants, if you like, are there because they're going to get money, which they don't have. They need investors. And and the bonuses, these millionaires 
I mean, it's because they're clever. They're good at their job. So they're going to get money and they're going to get partnership. They're going to get advice. So that's, that's what they get out of it. So can you imagine someone coming into the dragon's den and they're pitching it to these panel of four incredibly rude people and they get uh, chosen uh, as you know, one of these successful investments. They go off and they start their business and they never take advantage of the money that's given to them and they never ask for any advice. They just carry on as if nothing's happened. That would be absurd, right? It would be completely beside, you know, uh, it, it would be a complete waste of time. Well, the, the same is true for us in our relationship with God. Spending time uh, at the feet of Jesus in this mode of contemplation of spending time with him, talking to him, listening to him, hearing his word, enjoying his presence. It's the source of our faith. It's from there that everything flows. Because we come to him because uh, he gives us things that we, we don't have without him. So when we come and spend time with God in that special way, he gives us, for example, he gives us wisdom. It says uh, in Proverbs, commit your, uh, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Look at Martha in this story. She didn't ask Jesus what she should be doing. She didn't ask him what was necessary. She just took it upon herself and went ahead and did it. And Jesus says to her, actually, only one thing is necessary. Some translations have it, actually, only a few things are necessary. Which It could be this double meaning, that the one thing that's necessary is to sit at my feet. Or it could be that, actually, you know, I just need a bit of bread and water and everything else is, you know, a bit superfluous. If you'd have asked me, I'd have told you. But here you are, going ahead, rushing on and doing your own thing. Why? How many situations are we in, as Christians, where we haven't asked God about our plans and we've just rushed on ahead and done whatever has popped into our minds? We haven't prayed about it, we haven't compared it to God's word, we haven't uh, asked him if it's any good, and we haven't committed it to him. We've just got on and got busy and we found ourselves, what, frustrated, fearful, distracted from the Lord, overwhelmed and burdened, all because we haven't asked him. And God would say, just come to me. You know, I want you to make plans. I'm not, you know, we're not into the uh, remote controlled robot model of Christian discipleship, where the Holy Spirit is beaming out his, his perfect instructions all the time. We've got these broken antenna and occasionally we can tune in and we get exact instructions of where to go and what to say. But we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And he, rather like a much nicer version of one of those dragons on the dragon's den will occasionally have things to tell us that we wouldn't have thought of. Occasionally he will stop us and say, no, you're going the wrong way, you need to go this way. He'll have ideas that you haven't thought of. He'll have wisdom that you that you need. So we have to have this humility in our lives that just stops and asks God, is this the right thing to do? Or asks God, what would you have me do? Or looks at his law and says, how does this compare with what you command. We need to stop and ask him. You know, James says this uh, humility should go all the way down, even to, you know, don't say next week we're going to this city or to that place. Say, if the Lord wills, we're going to this. You know, it has to be a humility. Why? Because we're in partnership with God, who knows more than us, who might have different plans to us. Who most often, he is happy for us just to go and do our own thing. 
but he is our source. He is our greater partner. He's our uh, investor, isn't he? Does that make sense? So Christ is our head. We come to him as a source of ourselves because he's bigger than us. He's cleverer than us. Cleverer than us. He's got this wisdom. We need to spend time in his presence. It's more than that, actually. It's not just wisdom for individual things. It's actually that when we come to him, we can cooperate with him in his big plans. Martha was off doing just things all on her own. But if you look at the way Jesus lived his life, Everything he did, I mean, one of the great privileges I have you know, in, in preaching most weeks is as you spend time in God's word, you see how it all weaves together, how again and again the things Jesus did match up with things that happened in the Old Testament. And God, by his spirit, is inspiring all these things into this amazing, beautiful tapestry. So every individual action that Jesus did, every word he said, every place he went, every person he met is woven into this bigger plan. And he does that perfectly. But as Christians, through relationship with God, everything we do has that potential to be part of God's amazing tapestry, to be part of something bigger, more beautiful, more amazing. You think of, I mean, the classic examples are, you know, the the guy who preached the gospel to Billy Graham, (laughs) some small town preacher. But through his actions, he changed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Or the, the person who very clumsily shared the gospel with Charles Spurgeon, not even knowing what to say, just sort of stumbling over his words and getting stuck and pointing to a boy in the pew and saying, you, <laughs> you look miserable. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? You know, these small things, but I mean, these are church examples, but even everyday life. When we come to God and we commit our way to him, it's not just about having wisdom to do one thing. It's that he, by directing us and shaping our thoughts and giving us guidance, he weaves our actions into something much, much bigger. And so we're part of something more beautiful, more powerful than we can ever imagine. I think about the, you know, the way Paul went about his mission. And um, you know, always he's praying, always he's fasting, asking God where he should go. He's making plans. And he even goes to places to get there for the Holy Spirit somehow. We don't exactly know how. Often we'll say to him, you can't, don't go any further. You need to turn around and go somewhere else. But always he's open to what God is doing. And because he's spending that time with God, thinking and praying and committing his way to the Lord, sitting at Jesus' feet, his life is being woven into this amazing, amazing thing that eventually sees him taken from Israel to Rome to stand before the emperor of Rome. Isn't that amazing? And for the gospel to go forth. You know, we don't know all the ins and outs of those, uh, the mysteries of how God's providence unfolded, but here we stand 2,000 years later because of his obedience. So Christ is our head. He gives us wisdom. He gives us, uh, he weaves us into his plans. And of course, he gives us strength. God asks us, there's no point in hiding it, is there? As Christian, God asks us to do the impossible. He asks us to do things that, naturally speaking, are impossible. Where do we get that strength? God wants us to come and ask him. Martha is trying to do stuff that she's worried, she's upset, she's trying to do stuff that she can't do because she's not resting in the Lord. Because she hasn't spent time with him. Psalm 18 says this, It is God who arms me with strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand upon the heights.
With my God, I can scale any wall, it says in the same, in the same psalm. With my God, I can scale any wall. So God gives us wisdom. He weaves us into his plans. He gives us strength because Jesus is the source of our salvation. He's the source of our life. And we have to come to him and ask him for these things. So that's the kind of first big point. I'm sorry there are kind of three points under that, but that's just number one. The second reason why Mary has chosen the better part is because not only is Christ the source, but he's also the goal of our, of our life. And this is a bit more of a, a bit more of an emotional appeal, really. But here's the irony at the heart of, of uh, the passage and the irony at the heart of, mo- of a lot of Christian life. Martha's attempts to, as I mentioned again, Martha's attempts at being incredibly hospitable actually make her really inhospitable. Why does she want to, why does she busy herself doing all those things? Because she wants Jesus to feel welcome. And what happens? You know, she ends up engaging him in this, this kind of personal conflict and she's making everybody feel awkward. It's like the opposite of hospitality. It's, imagine if, you know, it's like saying to someone, can I borrow 10 pounds, please? I want to buy you a birthday present. You know, it's <laughs> it just the very premise undermines, undermines what you're trying to do. Jesus is the goal. What is the point of our good works? What is the point of loving our neighbor? What is the point of Christian discipleship? What is the goal of it? It's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with Jesus Christ. I mean, those two things, they're woven together. So we have this amazing dual command. You can't be separated. The the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the uh, second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul says in Galatians 5, the greatest commandment is... You know, to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, which is it? <laughs> they're woven so closely together, aren't they, that it's almost like they're inseparable. But why do we want to grow as Christians? Why do we want to be more holy or more loving or bear more fruit? Why do we want to be more disciplined or more mature in our faith? Why do we want to do those things? It's to enjoy fellowship with God. And if, if we're doing things to enjoy fellowship with God that stop us from having fellowship with God then there's something really not very right about that, is there? And that's that's just really, really plain. I mean, that's, you know, Jesus' beef with the the Pharisees was basically this, wasn't it? That they were doing things to make them close to God that made them really horrible and angry inside, that made them judge everyone and made them really far from God. So to the point that when God himself appeared before them, they didn't recognize him. They went searching the scriptures to see what God said, and he was speaking to them. There's the irony in the Christian life. I mean, we, we find the same thing even in the, as an aside, even in the, the culture around us. You know, our, our culture, Western culture particularly, is so focused on productivity. Are you a productive person? You know, our schools are aimed at creating productive citizens who contribute to the economy. Our mindset is, are we busy? Are we engaging? You know, our, our, the way we treat our kids is make sure, making sure that they're learning stuff all the time so that when they, you know, they, when they grow up, they're going to be productive. They're going to make the most of their potential. What is the purpose of our productivity as human beings? So that we can rest and enjoy God. You know, that's the purpose of our fruitfulness is fellowship with God. 
The same in our home lives. You know, we, we work so hard to provide money for our homes. We work hard in our homes and make them look nice. All these things. What is the purpose of all that? So that we have a home to enjoy. Yet if we work in such a way that can't, we never enjoy that home, it's, it's pointless, isn't it? And this is an aside. It's, it's, I think it's on the Lord's heart. You know, actually, uh, for those of you who are making homes... The Lord would say, well, what is the purpose of this? In the way you're uh, treating your family, the way you're interacting, the, the busyness that you take upon yourself. What is more valuable to the people who share your home, to your spouse or to your children? The, the things you're producing or the quietness of your spirit, the gentleness and grace you exude, the peace that surrounds you. you know, these are more precious than your productivity. Anyway, that's an aside. But there's this irony. We can be so busy trying to be fruitful as Christians that we forget what that fruitfulness is for, which is to enjoy fellowship with God. I remember um, hearing a... You might have heard this, this uh, before, I'm sorry if you have, but I remember hearing a Christian speaker give a, an example. And he, he used to do these retreats, where, which sounds like a good gig to me, where they, you go on holiday like to Switzerland or something like that. If you're a pastor and you want to take a holiday, you go on holiday to Switzerland, you give like a 10-minute talk every morning and they pay you hundreds of pounds and you get a free holiday. If anyone knows how you sign up for that, just let me know, okay? <laughs> um, anyway, he was doing one of these things and um, he was challenging this group of people he didn't, he'd never met before. They were from all different churches. So he was challenging them. He's basically, and he said to them, you know, how is your worship life? How is your worship life? And... Uh, he got a kind of a bit of a cool response. It, you know, it didn't hit home. Sometimes you're preaching, you think this is going to be a great point. Everyone's going to be like, oh man, preach it, brother. And, you know, nothing happens. <laughs> and it was one of those moments. And he was like, oh. And afterwards, a couple of these people came up to talk to him and said, you know, that point you made about worship is, see, in our church, we've been taught that, you know, worship is, is your whole life. Worship is what you do on Monday morning, not what you do on Sunday morning. And he said, oh, okay, I see where the, I see where the confusion lies. Uh, we're talking about different, different things here. Let me put it to you another way. How is your adoration life? Do you ever spend time adoring Jesus? Do you ever spend time in adoration? I think that's a, a great question, don't you? If we don't, we're missing the goal of all the other stuff we're doing. It's like, why? What's the point of it? If we never get to enjoy the presence of Christ, to experience him by his spirit, his presence personally, and to, to think upon him and to enjoy you know, conversation with him in prayer and his closeness with him, if we never have that, what are we doing all the other stuff for? Even, you know, even our suffering, Paul says, we share in his sufferings that we might share in his inheritance. Our fruitfulness, you know, our growth in love and holiness, our fruit of the Spirit, our good works, all these things, they are, they are the offering that we bring to God 
and we put upon his altar and they increase our joy in fellowship with him. So the simple question, how's your adoration life? Are you enjoying the fruits of your work? Are you working hard for God? Great. He loves it. Are you striving for holiness? Are you desiring to to bear fruit? Are you wanting to, to grow in love? Fantastic. But is it ordered toward, is it directed towards that enjoyment of him? Because if it's not, it's just, you know, it's going to be lost in the wind. It's just for nothing. Paul says we can build with, you know, precious stones and gold and silver, or we can build with hay, wood, stubble and straw. And if our, if our actions, even our good actions, are not directed towards fellowship with God, then they're just for nothing. Let, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. What are your efforts directed at? And I think the Lord will speak to us about keeping in step with the Spirit. Why is Mary's why is Mary chosen the better thing? I think God would speak to us about keeping in step with the Spirit. Paul says that in Galatians 5.26. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. And you know that chapter five of Galatians is really remarkable, and I think actually it touches very closely on uh, this passage about Mary and Martha. He's talking about people who are striving very hard to be righteous. And they're trying so hard to be righteous that they're taking on extra rules upon themselves and they're enforcing them on the people around them. To the extent where in the church in Galatia, there is envy and factions, jealousy, rivalry. There's anger growing. There's all the works of the flesh that he lists there. And he says, if those things are there, you're doing something wrong. that's That's like Martha, isn't it? A similar set of um, symptoms. If those things are there, you're doing something wrong. But the fruit of the Spirit is you don't have to say it, but you can if you want. Peace, love, joy, and all that, all that stuff. And then at the end of it, he says, so keep in step with the, the Spirit. So here's the puzzle, I think, and I think this is an incredibly, if I can, ex- if I can express it clearly, I think it's an incredibly liberating point for us as Christians. It is really weird, isn't it, that the Christian life is gradual. That God heals us, enables us to grow into Christ-likeness gradually. Here's the thing that most of us find hard to accept. That it doesn't matter how hard I push, I can't accelerate, I can't accelerate that process faster than God would have it go. But deep down, we think we can. That if I'm more passionate, more zealous, if I try harder, if I work myself to the bone, if I really throw myself into it, there's no, you know, without limit, without rest, I will somehow accelerate that process of sanctification. And this, this is the weird bit. God says, no. Zeal is important. Passion is important. But those are not the defining things in your relationship with God. The defining thing is your ability to rest in Jesus Christ. So we can, I almost can't believe I'm saying it. We can try and go faster in our Christian life than God wants us to. 
We can try and grow in holiness faster than God enables us to. We can try and grow in maturity faster than God enables us to. We can try and grow in love faster than God enables us to. And when we do that, we stop resting in Jesus and we experience this Martha-like thing in our lives. We experience an unsettling fear, a sense of burden. Why, why does God set limits on our, the speed of our sanctification? Why would he do that? Because he wants us to learn to rest in him. That is most important. The most important thing is our relationship with Jesus. That means there are times when there are things that are unfinished and you will want to, in very humanly, finish them. Jobs for, you know, things that God has asked you to do or things that you've taken upon yourself, duties, service to other people, uh, some effort in um, spiritual discipline, some more Bible reading, more prayer, that you will, what you will think, I need to do more, and you will not have the strength to do it. And you will have a clear choice. Do I go to Jesus and rest and say, okay, Lord, I can't do any more right now. Will you refresh me? Can I spend time with you? Or will you carry on in your own strength? Again and again and again in the Christian life, if your experience is, is anything like mine and my experience reflects what's in this passage, you will face that choice. And God wants to say to you this morning, when you are faced with that choice, it is a very clear decision. Rest. It doesn't all depend upon you. He doesn't need your good works. It doesn't all rest upon your shoulders. The world will not fall apart if you stop. On the contrary, if you keep going in your own strength, the things will start to go badly wrong. Come and rest in me. Enjoy my presence. Just let me serve you. Let me bless you. Have fellowship with me. Listen to what I'd say to you. Come and receive direction from me. Come and be refreshed. I just think this sounds too good to be true. I think that's why we don't do it. I just think it's just ridiculously generous of God. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't lying, is he? He's not lying, is he? It's not too good to be true. That really is the way of the Christian life. God often will say, yes, there are many things left undone. Yes, there is far to go. There's always more that you could do. But now I want you to stop. Only one thing is necessary. Just enjoy my presence. Just a few little points that the Lord laid on my heart to bring this home. You know, sometimes God will actually lead us to that Martha-like place. He'll allow us to go there um, so that we depend upon him more. Paul writes this in uh, 2 Corinthians 1. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God 
And sometimes, and I think this is a very personal message to some of you here this morning, sometimes God will allow us to come to a place where we, we literally can't do anything else. We can't do any more. Where we despair. Where more than Martha, more than, oh, this is a hassle, I'm so busy. More than that. Like, I, I, can't, I can't even go on emotionally or physically or through practical circumstances. We just feel like giving up. Sometimes God will lead us. Why? Because the most important thing you can do, you can learn, is to rest in Jesus and to have fellowship with him. That's more important than your comfort. And God will lead you to that place. So if that's you, don't think that God is playing some, some trick on you this morning or something like that. But just know that he's teaching you to rest upon him and take the lead. Make the decision to rest in him. Sometimes we, uh, we take ourselves there, of course, and if that's just by our own decisions, we think that we're indispensable or um, we're just in a habit of working so hard. We can become proud of our capacity to do things, our capacity to carry much. And because it's our habit, we can become exhausted. And we stop, we don't stop to look and ask God, do I need to rest? And the Lord would say to you this morning, there's just one thing that's necessary. We can uh, keep out of step with the Spirit, not just by going too fast, but also by going in the wrong direction. Keeping step is a military term that's like, you know, like when you have a squad of people all marching left, right, left, right, left, right. That's the idea. You stay together and you march in step. So we can keep in step with the Spirit by, by, uh, we can get out of step with the Spirit by going too slow. We can be lazy. That's not really the point of the sermon, but anyway, you know, we can do that. We can get out of step with the Spirit by going too fast, by pushing too hard, by going faster or further than God enables us to do by his grace. We can get out of step with the Spirit by going in the wrong direction, by trying to do things that God hasn't called us to do. That's pride. Humility is accepting our place, isn't it? Accepting the gifts God has given us. It's accepting the circumstances he's placed uh, us in. It's accepting those things and trusting God will be glorified and we will be fulfilled in that place. When we try to break out of that, we experience those Martha-like symptoms. Frustration and burden, a weight upon ourselves. You know, a distraction from Jesus. We experience those things. And our, our calling, our, what God calls us to, can change. It changes from when we're children to when we're Teenagers, from teenagers to young adults, to when we have families, to when we're older, changes again and again. And one of the ways God guides us and says, like that compass I was talking about at the beginning, one of the ways God guides us is by that. Things that we, there are things I used to be able to do that if I try and do them now, I end up like Martha. I find it so much harder to learn things than I used to. I mean, you know, I don't, even 10 years ago, I would have sort of prided myself on my ability to absorb information new ideas and so on. Now I find it much easier to reflect on things I already know, but much harder to learn new things. That means there are things I can't do as well as I used to. 
and I have to accept that. And if I try and if I try and do them, I end up frustrated. That's true for all of us. So God guides us. So is there a change in your circumstances that means God is saying the things you used to do, you should no longer do. The things you haven't done yet, maybe these are the things God's calling you to do. I'd say also, I think I think one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit inspired this particular event to be in Scripture is not only is this an everyday, everyday illustration that illustrates a profound spiritual truth, but actually it's, it's an everyday thing that happens in our Christian lives that illustrates what's going on in our hearts. And what I'm saying is when we find ourselves like Martha in very normal situations, that's a really good sign that there's, there's a big spiritual thing going on. So it's a small symptom with a, a big problem behind it. So what I'm saying is it's not just about like the big Christian life things about your big decisions, but also just in your everyday life, when you're, you know, when you're at work or you're making the dinner or you're interacting with the children or the other members of your family or at church, whatever. When, if you find that unsettled spirit, that kind of pushing that, that, that makes you distracted from God and kind of it makes you flustered and worried and fearful and burdened, that's really not a good thing. And actually, that's a sign that you need to stop. It's not just about this one little area in your life. It's a time that in general you need to stop and rest in Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or complaining. It's a mark of the Christian life that there is peace. There's grace. There's beauty and rest in all that we do. From how we run a burger stand to how we welcome people at church to how we live at home and our families to how we conduct ourselves at work. And lastly, I'd say this. Spend time with Jesus when he comes to visit. You know, actually our closeness with God, sometimes it depends on us. You know, it says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It says that in scripture. But often there are seasons in the Christian life when God suddenly seems to make it very easy to spend time with him. You've experienced that? It's easier to pray sometimes than others. Easier to worship than sometimes than others. Easier to spend time in God's word than, than others. On a day-to-day basis, I would say this. If you have an urge to pray, suddenly in the middle of, I don't know, whatever it is, doing the washing up or something, stop and pray. That's what Mary did. You know, that's the better part. I, in fact, I heard some random quote just, just occurred to me. Someone, uh, someone said, if, if you have the urge to pray for a missionary, don't wait, pray right now. And amazing testimonies have come out of, of that sort of thing. But generally, I would say this. If you have the urge to pray, if suddenly you feel like, do you know what, I could really pray right now, that feeling won't be there in an hour. And the joy and the closeness with Jesus that you'd experience if you just accepted that prompting will be lost. So when you have that prompting to pray, to take it. If you suddenly have this urge to spend time in God's word, you know, if you've ever read God's word and it's like the, the most exciting bits, like, you know, middle of Acts and Paul's racing around and people are getting saved and miracles are happening and just like, this is really hard work. And other times you read it and it's just blowing your mind. You know, we have, when, when it's easy, make the most of it. When you have that sense of, I want to spend more time with God in worship. You know, maybe sometimes at the end of a service we do an invitation and we say, you know, if you want to keep on worshipping, you think, well, there's the chickens in the oven and the 
kids are out the back and you know, I don't want to leave, you know, Abby to look after them and, but, you know, but you have this, but I really just feel like I need to spend time with God. One thing is necessary. And I would say this, there are seasons in the Christian life where often for weeks or months, it's easier to spend time with the Lord. When that happens, make hay while the sun shines. You know, these are the, the foundations on which our Christian life are, are built. There's a king, and I wish I'd looked it up because it's just occurred to me. One of the kings in the um, in Chronicles, you know there's that section in Chronicles where it's just like, there was a good king and he reigned for 17 years and then he died and there was a bad king and he did lots of, you know, it's like king after king after king. You can't remember all the names. One of the kings experienced peace. And in that time of peace, he built, he, he um, fortified the cities. That's all it says about him. He fortified the cities. But that's, that's when seasons of prayer come, when it's easy to pray, easy to spend time with God. That's what he's doing. And I just encourage you to, to do that. So learning to rest in, uh, in Jesus, that's, that's uh, God's heart for us this morning. It's the better part. But you know, it's not just value in this life. It's, it's value for the next. There's treasure in this life that we can only mine now. We can choose to spend time with Jesus. Or we can choose not to. You know, we won't get that choice in the age to come. I know it's all, I know we don't know how it'll work, but we won't have that choice. What an amazing privilege to be able to choose to spend time with the King of Kings. And it's that choice that prepares us to meet him. Not our busyness, not our works, but our desire to be with him. It says in 1 John 2, that we may be confident and unashamed at his coming if we abide in him, even now. Let's pray.